and welcome to the Riff Raff podcast, hosted by Amy Baker and Rosie Edwards. We set up the Riff Raff to champion the work of debut authors and to provide guidance and support for those dreaming of one day being published themselves. This week we're chatting to Jenny Zhang, author of Sour Heart, about coming-of-age stories, writing complicated relationships, and whether it's ever possible to hide autobiographical aspects from your work. why I was so weak all the time, why I had no grace or power to summon. Why was I so exposed? Was there no barrier separating me from the dangers of other people in this world? Before I left Shanghai for New York, my grandfather on my mother's side told me my great-great-grandfather had been a diplomat during the reign of the Qing dynasty. He was the official ambassador to Britain, Belgium, Germany, and Italy. He spoke eight languages switch back and forth between them in conversation. The ladies went mad for him, especially when he spoke in Italian. There was a statue erected in his honor in a small public park back home. Of course, all those statues have since been destroyed, but you can't destroy our pride. These are our origins. Our people traverse the globe. They live for adventure. They were most at home when they were away. They could build a home anywhere. That's in our blood. Do you understand? It was the only pep talk anyone had ever given that actually made me feel braver. I returned to it whenever I felt like nothing and needed to reconnect with the part of me, no matter how deeply buried away, that still felt immense and maybe even one day capable of brilliant things. But every day my grandfather's speech dimmed from my memory. Yes, I had so much to say, but nothing of what I felt inside ever came through. I was a follower and a coward and a mute, and that was that. If I was descended from people who found a way to belong anywhere, it didn't show. If I came from adventurers and poets who lived for themselves and resisted captivity, those qualities must have skipped me. I was an embarrassment to my bloodline. Hi Jenny, thank you so much for joining us on the Riff Raff podcast. Thank you for having me. Um, So for those who have yet to read your incredible debut collection, Sour Heart, please can you tell us a little about what it's about? Yeah, sure. Um, They are stories, seven of them. Um, They're sort of interlinked and interweaved. Um, And it follows six different Chinese-American families who emigrate to New York City in the late 80s and 90s. And it's told from the perspective of the daughters. Um, So it's sort of a retrospective um, uh, narrator, first-person narrators, looking back at their girlhoods and their adolescences and growing up as young girls um, in New York City in the 90s. Wonderful. Um, okay, so, so as you mentioned, obviously, the stories are told, are told from the perspective of girls growing up in New York, and it's kind of like a dark, funny look at what the girls go through in terms of kind of their body, their sort of sexual, mm. their bodies, their sexual awakening, like their relationships with their families and with, with China. Mm. And um, so when you started out writing the collection, did you kind of have that as a theme to sort mm. of like, and you knew that those, the stories were all going to kind of fit into that theme, or did you just kind of set out to write some short stories and it just they all ended up coming out like that? <laughs> yeah, um, I think because I didn't set out to write a novel, I mean, I had tried and failed so many times that um, I had always thought, which is a very, I think, common thought for young writers, which is like, you have to write your novel. That's like your big book. You sell that. Um, stories are 
a side thing, a you know, a side hustle or a, a, like an apprenticeship on the way to writing the big book. But I couldn't really write a novel, um, and I had been writing short stories, not with any kind of intention or like larger goal, but just um, writing them. And I think um, I think if you're writing from a place of I, I don't know authenticity or something like if you're writing deeply like you should be writing about things that really interest you that you're very obsessed with there should be some subconscious like things happening behind the scenes that you're not even aware of um, because you should be writing about something that you care about not something that you you know have artificially deduced will be marketable and so because I was writing about stuff that I cared about over a period of like four or five years, I think when I looked back at all the stories I had written in that period, um, I realized that that was a book. Um, it wasn't a novel, um, but it was a book, and it was a book because these stories um, did all focus on young girls. They did all focus on coming of age. They did all focus on issues of identity, um, displacement, migration, um, blah, 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 blah. So I was like, maybe this is a book. Maybe all the characters in these stories actually know each other. Um, so I started to fit, I started to um, rework the stories after, not um, to make it more uh, cohesive. Mm. And, and while the stories do share those simil similarities in terms of sort of theme and maybe setting and things like that, they are all distinct. Mm. And so how did you go about developing all these wonderful stories that work alone and are separate enough and yet cohesive enough to, to sit together in one book. Yeah, um, that was a really big challenge for me and I don't know if I had fully succeeded or not, but I think um, it's really natural to have overlaps in writing um, if you've ever taken like one of those... Uh, horrible lit classes where you have to read all the published works of one author <laughs> in college or whatever, or is it called uni here? Um, then you realize like, oh, wow, like, you know, uh, James Joyce wrote about like the same five things <laughs> over and over again in different forms, different fashions and different styles maybe, but like um, there's a lot of uh, similar characters show up um, so, yeah, so if you kind of uh, look at any published author's, you know, oof or whatever, there are a lot of overlaps. But I think one thing that I tried to do in Sour Heart is um, because it's, it's actually, it's a group portrait of a community of people, um, of a cohort of people who all had a very specific experience. Um, and so it also makes sense in the fictional universe that there would be overlaps, just like, you know, people who have um, all experienced a very, like, you know, ex specific experience of, like, war or a specific kind of trauma. They don't all come out as, like, carbon copies of each other with, you know, duplicate personalities, but they do share certain overarching um, commonalities. So the challenge for me was like, how do I show the ways in which 
um, a lot of these families went through the same things and so they might come out of that with the same anxieties or the same fears or this even some of the same tics and even some of the same um, tendencies in personality while still being wholly different um, and I think um, I tried to to the best job that I could, but I'm, I'm not sure how well I conveyed the differences, but um, I tried to do that in the editing process. That must have been quite a fun little process to go back through everything and kind of work out where the kind of the characters had similar experiences where you could feed mm -hmm. that in. That must have been quite a nice part of the kind of after you've done the initial drafts to go back in and kind of add that layer of nice <laughs> yeah. yeah um so um so one of the one of the like the sort of most powerful parts about the book in my opinion is um sort of all the young girls relationships with their families mm. um so how much they kind of admire and love their parents for the kind mm. of for bringing them to america and to kind of like for all the hard all the struggle they've kind of been to been through but also kind of this sort of feeling of um you know wanting to kind of break free from that and the guilt maybe guilt that they feel and mm. stuff like that and like you know, you, you handle that so so delicately. It was it's fantastic. Um, so how did you approach writing these complicated relationships? You know, so much of um, so much literature and stuff is about what makes it so great. It's about reading about complicated relationships. So yeah, yeah how did you approach that? Yeah, um, I think one thing um, that I always am drawn to when I'm reading is um, characters who. Um, make it difficult for you to classify them as either um, a hero or a villain, you know? Um, and I think I try to create, like, relationships that neither, you know, vilified or um, made someone, you know, angel-like in the way that they related to other people and I think so often in literature I think because conflict um, depression pain sadness isolation those are really really um, intense um, and classical forms of literature um, I think a lot of times in exploring family relationships there's so much literature about um, discord about family members hating each other being alienated from each other um, and I think especially um, in the genre if you want to I guess even call it that of like literature that is like focused around like immigrant life there's so it's such a trope and such a commonly seen narrative of like the second generation rebelling against like their conservative first generation family and wanting to break free from that and I think that's like a very valid um trope and it's a very rich one but I also feel like there's one there was some I, I was missing um stories that were a little more complicated where um you want to break free but it's very painful because actually um, you do love your family or um, that feeling I mean which is not just um, it, it, it's not just uh, a trope of immigrant literature it's it's all coming-of-age stories coming-of-age is about becoming your own person it's about kind of having to let go of your first identity which is someone's child someone's daughter someone's son um, and and suddenly you're you know supposed to be a man or a woman or whatever it is or you're you want to be an artist you want to be whatever new identity that you're trying on and I think that um, sometimes we forget that not everyone wants to grow up 
um, even as they are desperate to grow up because Mm -hmm. um, it's very scary to grow up. It's very scary to be responsible for yourself. It's very scary to let go of that first identity. So I guess I try to infuse um, the sense of um, intense, like, that feeling of like, what if I could be a child forever, but also like, oh dear God, don't let me be a child forever. I need, I want to be like grown so badly. Yeah. Oh, I, I so relate to that idea of, you know, like I don't, God, I don't want to be an adult. I have to do all the adult stuff, but oh my God, don't take me back to 16. Please yeah. God, whatever. Yeah. And just kind of, but then also like, well, I don't want to be in the present. It's going to get better. Right. Yeah. Um, but talking of identity, some of the characters in the book, have the same name as you some of them share the same experiences Mm. especially coming to America but the book is fiction Mm. and I wonder how you have differentiated between yourself and parts of yourself that you've put into the book and what is completely fictionalized and how you found the experience of being asked repeatedly I would imagine (laughs) is this autobiographical yeah well I think I find it so interesting because you know all art all writing is autobiographical because it would be um I don't know if you could make um really good art and for the artist the creator to be so completely hidden from that art and I think sometimes um they're really um there are seemingly easy you're like if you're writing realist fiction it seems seemingly easier to um draw autobiographical um you know conclusions um but a lot of sci-fi is autobiographical Mm -hmm. um i was reading about jeff vandermeer's um annihilation trilogy and he literally got the idea because he had a crazy dream where the first 50 pages of what became the first book of Annihilation was in his dreams to the point where he saw writing on, he saw a wall that was breathing in his dream with writing and he wrote down the words he saw in his dream and he had that dream because he had gotten dental surgery and he was (laughs) horribly depressed because he was on all these crazy meds that made him like trip balls and he was horribly depressed and he was thinking about environmental devastation because he like um lived like near the gulf oil spill and so like a movie that i mean sorry a book that became a movie that is um you know about like shimmering like weird creatures you're like how could that be autobiographical but it is because autobiography is not just like a one-to-one translation of your diary to the the page it's a feeling it's it's an emotion it's a concern there are autobiographical concerns and everything so I think like part of like being a writer especially if you're like a writer of color especially if you're like a woman and therefore more likely to be asked these like often very belittling questions of like, I'm sure you didn't make this up. I'm sure you, you know, just kind of copied your life onto the page. I think one of the things is like keeping close to your heart, this knowledge of like all writing is autobiographical and, um, just some people are cruder about like making that connection than, um, than others. And I'm not like, 
it's not that I'm ashamed if there are obvious like autobiographical parts. It's more like I want to have the ability to play. I want to be able to have like maybe the character that's named after me um, has like certain sneaky things that I put in there that are actually the farthest from me but it's like I feel like I can do that because I gave her my name and maybe like another character who's like not even of my race not even like you no one would ever think that is like someone um that is me is actually like a secret double for me like I think playing is really fun um it's like being aware of expectations and not just simply rebelling but like playing with them I think that's what I'm trying to do more now <laughs> I wish I could fall asleep and fucking write well, 50 pages of a best-selling novel in my dream <laughs> Jesus the woman who wrote Twilight apparently dreamt it as well mm. and so I've been writing down my dreams for years um, wow. on that how's basis it, how's the best-seller coming I mean sometimes I wake up and I'm like that it has an amazing plot line but it's not a movie like, one, one time I did meet um, Bruce Willis's character what's his name from um, Thingamajiggy from Die, Die Hard, Hard, yeah, and, and like it was like it was an action <laughs> romp, but it definitely wasn't worthy oh of a, a whole Screenplay. trilogy. Yeah. Screenplay, babe. I think <laughs> exactly. So funny, but yeah. I will persevere, and I'll let you yeah. know. Yeah. How, but how but it Rebecca goes. F. John, same with her. She a haunting it. of Henry Twist. She oh, dreamt really? that as well. Yeah, really. And that was Costin nominated. Yeah, something yeah. like that. Yeah. So it, that's you know, incredible. But you know, I don't think we're prescribing take loads of you know drugs and be very depressed because that must have been an awful experience everyone needs to have dental surgery and then sleep yeah. as much as possible <laughs> we'll all be best selling novelists um, so one of the one of the things that really obviously having seven short stories means that you have more endings but one mm. thing that I think you're particularly good at is um, is ending things in like a with really a really big impact mm. and um, you know and endings are so kind of tricky or yeah. you know and writers will obsess over them or uh, how do you approach writing endings and mm. what advice do you have for people about writing this yeah endings are so fun but also so scary I mean I never want anything to end and when I finish a book I always flip to the first page because it's like it didn't end it's just starting over <laughs> again <laughs> um but I think that's the feeling you want to give the reader, this feeling of like, no, it can't end, but also like, oh, of course it ended at this point. You know, that feeling like it was inevitable, but also utterly surprising. And I think it's like, I, 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 I strive to do that. Um, and I don't know exactly what the best way to do that is, but I think the inevitability aspect of endings comes from like knowing your characters so well that of course they would do that they're acting in the way they're acting like like humans would it's just like sometimes you know like your friend is going to be 15 minutes late because you know your friend so well and you know your other friend is like going to I don't know want to go to this restaurant because you know your friend so well and it's like endings should have that that sense of inevitability like I know this character so well that of course they're going to do the thing that I'm hoping they won't do because it'll destroy their lives but also um you want to end on that most surprising moment um because if it's too predictable then we don't need to get to the ending you know like you don't need to you can just show up 15 minutes late because your friend's gonna be 15 minutes late you don't need to get there on time and wait to see how that'll end so it's like how do you create something where also um, it's surprising and I think usually for me at least in these stories it was finding these characters at a time in their lives when they were 
I mean, which is very common with coming of age, where they were put in a position that they never had put in before. So it's sort of like, well, we know what they would normally do, but they've never been asked to do this before, or they're remembering a time in their lives where everything changed. And so, like, bringing that element of, like, anarchy and, like, what will happen when everything is chaotic, um, I think those were, like, just the two situations I often put my characters in, so it made it easier to end the stories. Mm. And I understand that you've written these stories quite a long time ago. Mm. And I wonder, when did you, you... You presumably sort of started with, you know, the first few... Um, how did the vision for the for the book as a whole come together and when did you sort of start adding and mm. or did you use the editing process to, to to take out any stories and think that doesn't belong there and now I'm set on this number yeah well I used to have a really really cheesy um, idea of how to make a book out of stories just because um, short story collections I had always been told are not very marketable and like stay away from them at all costs um and I was like I know like I'll just come up with a gimmick and that will be the thing that will like work amazingly uh this is when I was you know like 24 or something um and so I was like every story will be about like a family relationship so one will be like the story about a daughter's relationship with her mother one will be about her relationship with her father one with her uncle one with her aunt you know and and so I kind of tried to write each of those stories um, and I don't know, it just didn't work. I think like, it's like, because I knew the exact shape it would take, I got bored writing it. Um, it's like, I knew too much. All the answers were already, a, you know, I, I was writing with the answers in mind or something. So I kind of did have to get rid of some things. And, um, it was more that I just chose the stories that, this sounds very cheesy, but that came out of like a real... It, it is like that waking up with a dream and writing it all down, that feeling of like you've been writing the story your whole life and like today is the day you'll write it. Um, I chose the stories that felt like that rather than I will write a story because I must <laughs> or because a teacher is asking for it or because I'd like to make some money. Like those stories all seem to fail for me at least. I mean some writers can write on assignment very well but I can't. And I just um, gathered all the ones that really felt like they came from like my soul. And it just so happened that they, it seemed to work together as a book. And then it was like in the editing process, um, and this is the less magical aspect of it, ordering them and figuring out like how to um, introduce the reader to this world, um, the, the order of stories, which would be the last story, how they would all connect, how much they would connect. Is this like a linked short, short story collection or a novel in stories or just stories that happen, you know, whose margins like bump against each other. Um, those are decisions I made in the editing process. Mm. And um, you went to the Iowa Writers' Workshop, which I think to writers in the UK has this kind of like mythical, <laughs> like, oh my goodness, like what kind of magic happens there? And um, it kind of like, you know, every time we meet any author that's been there, we're always like, oh my God, tell us everything. <laughs> and um, I wondered if you could maybe tell us like kind of a little bit about your experience there. Yeah. And maybe like what, if the if you can hone it down to like one really valuable lesson that you got mm. from it, maybe something about that. Let us, let us know that. <laughs> um... Should we wait until they're... Nah, okay. Good to go. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, are there MFA programs in There England? are, yeah. Yeah, yeah, there are, yeah. But I feel like the Iowa Writers Workshop, I don't know whether yeah. it's just... I feel like that, is to, well, to me, it's like the one that I always think of as like the, the shiniest. Yeah. But yeah we, do, we, we have one in um, 
in East Norwich, Anglia. East Anglia, yes. yeah, which is really, really well I applied respected. to that one. Oh, cool. You know, I applied to three MA programs in England, and I actually, I applied to seven in the U.S., and I didn't get into any of the programs I applied to in the U.S. except the Iowa Writers oh, wow. Workshop. But they're kicking themselves now. <laughs> <laughs> but it's just, like, it's so random, you know? Like, if that one's the best, like... I don't know. It's just, it's so random, but it is, it is an amazing, it is an amazing program. Um, and I was there when I was really young. I think I was like 23 to 25. So in some senses, I didn't take advantage of the career aspects of it because I was in full, like, oh my God, I'm going to party with writers every single night. <laughs> and there's a hundred of them, you know, and, and it is really rare to be in a small town where there are just a hundred plus writers at the, at minimum, because there's 50 fiction writers and 50 poets, plus all the, you know, teachers and the people who stick around. Um, it, it's, it's like a, you know, two month writing camp. So it is really crazy. And, and I think, um, it's very easy to be more intoxicated by the the idea of the life of a writer than actually write, especially mm -hmm. when you're really young or especially if maybe you didn't have a writing community and suddenly you have one. Um, but I think, so I think in, in light of that, my best advice, which I only half took, is like, you know, like be social and like make friends because part of, um, because part of the the socializing is also work because you're meeting other writers, you're meeting colleagues, you're meeting people who you might start a writing group with. You might be meeting people who are um, interested in the kind of writing style that you're interested in. You could like learn. I learned like what to read by making friends with poets because I hadn't read like weird French uh, poetry before, but these poets would like, you know, be recommending these things. So I think like just, um, like embrace that social part, but not just the drinking whiskey part. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> Ain't no party like a writer's party. <laughs> is, there, is there any kind of part of it when you have that many kind of talented writers in one place and you're you're all kind of giving each other feedback and stuff? And, and it's like at the time you're at that kind of point in your life when you're developing your style and stuff. Like, is, I mean, I suppose you have to be quite, you know, take stuff on board, but also be yeah. like... I need to sort of, yeah, step back from it. And, totally. Yeah. Yeah, I think there's like, um, you know, you, you kind of can't be super democratic if you're taking these writing workshops because um, the only thing that everyone can agree on is okay is pretty boring stuff. So I think um, learning to hear criticism but also like um, holding some core part of yourself private and and like not being not wanting to please is actually a really good thing in writing workshops because yeah like you said you're trying to please so many different tastes um so many different agendas and I think like the best thing you can do is find like one or two people who may not necessarily write exactly like you but they like read you really well and they're really smart about figuring out what you're trying to do and like staying close to them and keeping their counsel close mm -hmm. is important. We can't let you leave without briefly, very briefly asking you about Lena Dunham and Jenny Connor, who your book launched their imprint, which has gone on to be phenomenally successful. Um, they're, they're, they are also very brave, direct writers like yourself. 
how did you find working with them and what did you sort of take away and from that slightly unusual approach to getting your debut published? Yeah, well, they, um, yeah, they had the Lenny imprint, um, which is part of Random House. And, you know, it's um, like really popular now, I think, for, or has been actually for a while, and people don't know, but like a lot of um, like celebrities have book imprints. And, um, you know, it really varies. Like some of them are really hands on, some of them are more hands off. And, um, uh, Lena and Jenny, they were, they gave me like a lot of freedom. Um, and, um, they like, I had a really great editor from Random House who I worked with on the book and on editing it. Um, and they were kind of just like really happy to like, let me have free reign to like, kind of do what I wanted to do. And that was probably, um, really, really good for me because I always didn't know where a, like where I would land as a writer I always felt like a little bit too off um, not literary enough not popular enough not something enough and I think there's something about a brand new imprint where there's almost like not a history behind it where it can kind of be anything um, that um, was like really worked for Sour Heart. Um, so it was really cool because it was brand new and like in a way like my book got to define it a little bit um, or at least its origins um, and yeah it was just like a really great place to land. Yeah. What an amazing experience. Yeah. And so is there is there a book two on route? Is it a short story collection or is there is there anything what can we expect from you next? Um, <laughs> I'm working on a novel <laughs> and um, a poetry collection. So. Okay. Oh, those poets really did have an impact, didn't they? <laughs> yes, they really did. God, yeah. you imagine just hanging out with poets, <laughs> reading French poetry and drinking whiskey. Very cool. Let's yeah. do that now. <laughs> Excellent. Well, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure to speak to you. Thank it was you. awesome. Thank you. Um, Rosie and I just wanted to thank you all so much for listening. We're so incredibly grateful. So please do let us know what you think, what you'd like more of, and any debut authors you'd like to hear from. Also, it would be really lovely if you could subscribe and give us a review so we can spread the word and give these marvellous debut authors the exposure they deserve. The Riff Raff Podcast is hosted by co-founders Amy Baker and Rosie Edwards. Come say hey at the-riffraff.com.